1: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good
0: morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Jackson State University has a new interim president. We'll have a conversation with former U.S. Secretary of Education Rod Page. Then, helping children in long-term hospital care maintain their academic studies. Later, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on bringing new meaning to fatherhood. And a new marine research center opens on the Gulf Coast.
2: Once we start talking about the blue economy, part of that is source research. And after the spill, one of the things I wanted to make sure of is that 50 years, 60 years from now, this water has not changed because of that. So part of the responsibility we'll have at the USM Oceanography Research Center here, will be able to study this water, see if we have any changes.
0: That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jackson State University's interim president is on a fact-finding mission to correct its financial problems. Former U.S. Secretary of Education Rod Page is in his second week on the job. He's met with legislators, campus officials, and students. This week, he'll meet with auditors. Last month, the college board revealed JSU's cash reserves dropped about $33 million over five years. Then-President Carolyn Myers has since resigned. Page tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he'll make his findings and corrective measures public.
3: This opportunity that's been provided uh, has really lifted my spirit uh, and made me realize that deep down I'm really a Mississippian.
4: So you were retired, laid back, and they called you and said, come help us out?
3: Well, yeah, I'm retired. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can use the term laid back. I've been pretty busy. Retired means that there's no specific structure that you've got to get up at eight, be at work at eight o'clock like that. Not like that. But involved in a lot of different activities, making speeches in workshops working on boards and things like that.
4: So in talking about Jackson State, what made you agree to come back and be interim president?
3: I'm a Jacksonian. I love this institution. It's one of the things that's primarily responsible for anything that I've accomplished. It gave me an opportunity to accelerate, to go forward, to be involved in forward movement. I can't even imagine what would have happened to me without Jackson State. I met my wife at Jackson State. I met some of my closest friends at Jackson State friends that I still have all those many years. I'm a Jacksonian.
4: When you heard about the financial situation, the cash reserves uh, being low, very low, um, comparatively speaking, and what the publicity Jackson State was facing as a result, what went through your mind?
3: Well, first of all, uh, the information that I had is the information that was in the media. After coming here, I found it was a very complex issue. There are a lot of good people here working for good causes, but there's some complex issues that we still have yet to understand. We just came Monday of this week. So I'm finishing my first week here and still in the process of vetting the situation and trying to learn what's going on. But even though uh, there are some difficult challenges confronting us, the message is really clear, you know, that this university has enormous promise, and I believe uh, promises that can be fulfilled.
4: How is this going to impact the university? What are you looking at right now?
3: I view my responsibility as um, helping officials at this university alumni, students, faculty, friends prepare the university for the permanent f- president who should come in soon. So I'm going to be here doing the interim, which to me means that period between two events, the, when the vacancy the came open and when the new person is chosen.
4: Have they told you how long that interim period might be?
3: No, I don't know exactly how, how long that interim period is going to be, but hopefully it will be a period that w- would uh, bring the new person in place sometime by beginning of next academic term, probably or even as early as in July. That's, that's, but that's a goal. That's a hope. We, we don't know if that's going to happen or not.
4: And so in the meantime, what questions are you asking? What are you looking at? What do you want to understand about this situation?
3: I want to understand what the root cause is of the financial issues that we face and what the solution to those root uh, cause issues are. And what actions would be necessary for us to take in order to correct the situation? That would, uh, I think, uh, occupy most of my space.
4: Now, I understand that there are auditors here right now. What are they doing?
3: Auditors are are, uh, experts in finances. And so... they're coming through the, the university's finances and seeing if they can find answers to the questions that we just talked about. I have not had a chance to meet with the auditors. I think early next week would be my first opportunity to, to meet with them, and I think it's going to be a great learning experience. I have a lot of questions I'm going to ask them uh, because that would give us a lot of guidance on how we go forward.
4: It would seem that it might be kind of difficult to be the interim because you want to get a handle on what has happened what is going on, but yet and still, you have to stay focused that there's going to be someone that's going to step into the full-time role, and it won't be you. How do you make that balance work?
3: Well, I won't even focus on it won't be me, although I know it won't be me.
4: You wouldn't accept it if you were offered?
3: Well, I, I, I don't have that as an interest at all. My job is to do the proper work during the interim. And so I'm not going to be uh, viewing that as, as a period that I'll just do some short-term stuff. This period will be fulfilled with, with the kind of work that will most enhance the university, notwithstanding the fact that another person is going to take the saddle sometime soon.
4: Like what? What kinds of things?
3: Finding answers to the challenges, financial challenges that we've had. Putting corrective actions in place to see that those kinds of things don't happen anymore.
4: Have you had an opportunity to meet with the campus community as a whole?
3: Not completely. I've met with many. I've met with legislators. I've met with the campus officials. i met with students. i met with some community people. And so I I still have uh, quite a few other meetings to to undertake, and and that's going to begin again next week. We'll be doing that because we want to have a full understanding of the current circumstances. And also... We want the community to understand that they are part of the solution as well.
4: How could you bring the community into this and make them a part of it?
3: Well, just the limited information I've had about meeting with community people, Now, I, I, I've discovered a, a clear issue uh, where, a unit, where community people feel isolated and they don't have information. They're asking questions. But you can tell by the depth of that question that they have real strong interest in the university, and they want the best for the university. And so we're going to be trying to, to provide them the kind of information that will be necessary for them to fulfill that mission as, as friends of the university.
0: MPB's Desiree Frazier with JSU Interim President Rod Page. Up next, helping children in long-term hospital care maintain their academic studies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: The election is over and the nation has a new president, Donald Trump, and a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will keep bringing you the best coverage from coast to coast to help you make sense of it all. So listen every day.
3: Hi, I'm Dan Holiday, one of your new meteorologists here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. In fact, I received my training through Mississippi State University, one of the finest in the country. We're committed to delivering you timely weather
1: information day and night, seven days a week. And when the weather gets serious, we'll be with you every step of the way. Your place for staying a step ahead of Mississippi weather is MPB,
3: Think Radio.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tens of thousands of kids are treated at Batson Children's Hospital in Jackson every year from minor injuries to chronic illnesses. Along with doctors and nurses, there's a team of academic professionals who aid the children's recovery. MPB's Desiree Frazier reports.
2: On second floor, there is a skull fracture in bed 251. Listening Holly to
4: Pam Parks McCord, accident, one might think she's a healthcare care worker leading a meeting to update staff well, about like their patients.
2: In- Jessica, your patient
0: from the bone marrow transplant units on bed one.
4: Actually, it's McCord TBI, is one of 10 certified TBI TBI teachers at Batson in- Children's Hospital. She's heading up a morning meeting to talk Um, about the day's assignments. Once they're done, they'll begin their rounds, fanning out across the facility and outpatient clinics to help children with their schoolwork. Matter can change in two ways. What do you think those two ways are? Physical and chemical change. Teacher Alan Self finds 14-year-old Amber just coming back from a children's party where they had fun face painting. She's a bit tired, but perks up to study her science lesson with self at her bedside. The 8th grader is undergoing cancer treatment. Were you worried about schoolwork when you came? Yes, I was because I didn't I didn't know that they had teachers here and I thought that I was going to miss all my schoolwork until I met Miss Allen. Amber wants to be a doctor or a rapper when she grows up. Self says keeping children focused on their schoolwork provides a sense of normalcy that's comforting to them.
1: We want Amber to, even though she's not attending her class right now, we want this to still feel like she is going to attend class uh, no matter what. So she knows that every day we're going to do school just like as if she were um, at her school, too.
4: The hospital school is comforting to Amber's mother, Ferlanda Lewis. She likes the one-on-one attention her daughter receives. And it reduces the stress of worrying about Amber falling behind in school.
0: Well, school is just one less thing I have to worry about because we have great people up here like Ms. Allen and it's some more teachers like Ms. McPheel and they're just all so awesome.
2: The stress that comes, you know, is a medical stress, not knowing what's going on with your child.
4: Lori Hyden is the hospital school child life coordinator. The school has been here for 30 years. They serve more than 130 kids a day from public, private, and homeschool settings. Hyden says they work with schools to coordinate class assignments and, if necessary, create their own lessons. She says they work around the children's medical care.
2: Um, Our teachers have to do kind of spot checks, and so when they go in and if they can work with that child for 30, 45 minutes, they will. If they can't, they'll put it put it down and come back and try again.
4: The goal is to keep kids on grade level. Hyden says the teachers have to meet the same standards as public school teachers and are licensed. Some are early childhood teachers, others K-12 instructors, and some work with special needs children. Not all kids will go back to school because of their conditions. In those cases, teachers coordinate academic services for the children in their homes. There are also some who cannot go home. Michelle Goeth is a nurse practitioner who treats trauma patients.
0: We have some that deal with children who actually live in the hospital after their injuries or require disabilities or require complex needs. They are part of those children's lives and families. And this is...
4: Yellow. Yellow, that's right. Four-year-old Tracheon this? hopes to it's go like home soon. Teacher Christy Gandhi is helping the preschooler Wait. learn his colors. He was airlifted to the hospital <laughs> from Fayette suffering from seizures. Tomorrow. Today, he's bright-eyed and ready to go to the classroom after eight days in bed.
2: I'm just really impressed for him to have gone from
4: unable to hold a conversation to doing some things that for a four-year-old is somewhat difficult, especially one that's been sick. Remember Amber, the 14-year-old? She's heading home soon, but she'll be back for treatments. I'm going to miss it. What are you going to miss? Miss Allen and all the nurses. Missing the hospital may seem unusual for some of us, but for sick children, these hospital teachers are a beacon of light and encouragement when they
0: need it most. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on bringing new meaning to fatherhood. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The election is over. The nation has a new president and a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will continue to bring you the best coverage from coast to coast to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day.
1: You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law.
0: Hi, I'm Sherita Brent. On In Legal Terms, the focus is always you and your rights. From Miranda rights to civil rights, our legal experts will inform you of your right to do or not to do according to the law. Join us Tuesday mornings at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPV Think Radio.
3: Juan Carlos Cervantes never knew his father. He calls his mother an abstraction, having had only a limited relationship with her. He was raised by his grandparents in his native Guadalajara until moving to L.A. at the age of 12. In this week's Mississippi Story Corps, Juan Carlos talks about how his upbringing has affected his own imperfect relationship with fatherhood.
5: I didn't really have parents. I mean, I, mean, I knew I had a mother, but... Uh more of an abstraction, something that was mentioned. I remember missing her. I remember, I acutely remember the, you know, the chest pains, thinking about her, and crying for, you know, for a mother that it just seemed like something I was supposed to have. But I don't know if the pain was sincere, it was, or it was something that I felt like I had to have, because everybody else seemed to have. But it wasn't until I was older, about twelve years of age, I got a chance to live with her, but not really live with her. She rented an apartment for my sisters and I, and she'd come around uh, but it was very tumultuous mm-hmm.
2: That's well, what I remember
5: do you remember her as a as a child? No, because you know i was raised by I was raised by my grandparents, and I remember she'd come around. There was a time when I was about five that she did live with us for about a year, but it was real real tough on her because you know she had to do it on her own. And so she just went uh, she went elsewhere to Guadalajara because she got a better job there. So she would just send money home. So that's it. I mean, that was all I... So what I knew about her was just what I heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I was supposed to love her because she mm-hmm. was my mother. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess I did. So. And then your dad? I didn't have a father. There was never any mention of him. And I guess my grandfather was kind of like my... Mm-hmm. Surrogate father, but after he passed away, I I went to different homes, and one was my uncle, my mother's oldest brother, and so he was kind of like a father. But he had eight children of his own, so mm-hmm. but he was a good fellow.
3: So tell me how you got into this parenting yeah. piece of your life.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, I became a parent. It just happened. I think it's partly cultural. You know, there's sort of an expectation that that's what everybody does, right? You just you have kids. It just happened. I met a, a girl, an American girl, and, you know, before I realized it, uh, there was a child on the way, mm-hmm. and uh, so it just seemed like the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and without any other plans or any thoughts or anything, suddenly I found myself, you know, a father. By the time it was all over, I had four.
0: Do you think you're a good dad?
5: Well, you know, I used to think that all you needed to do was just provide and at least convince yourself that you were their guardian and their protector. and You know, and I spent a lot of time with them, quality time playing with them, and and I thought just I was giving guidance. But again, I question myself now, and I so many moments that, You know, I relive in my mind, and I could have done things different. What do you think that your
0: kids would say about you in terms of being a dad?
5: Well, you know, that's always a tough one, right? I mean, if it comes from them, so let's let's look at it that way. If it comes from them, I think they would say that I, they have no doubt in their mind that I loved them. I think, for me, that's the biggest thing. To know that someone loves you, I think it's probably the most important thing that we can feel as a human being.
3: To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: The election is over. And the nation has selected a new president, and with it, a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will continue to bring you the best coverage from coast to coast. Listen every day.
4: MPB Radio's local programs are available now as podcasts. Sure, you love your MPB mobile app. It streams your favorite program anytime you like. But when streaming's not the thing, say, in flight or driving on the Natchez Trace, download your favorite podcast and you've got it in your pocket. Available on iTunes or on any podcast app.
0: Grab your local MPB podcast now. The State Port of Gulfport and the University of Southern Mississippi are working on a new $10 million marine research center scheduled to open in early 2018. The 18,000-square-foot building will support USM's continued research in the Mississippi Sound and the Gulf of Mexico, and it might be home to a new degree in ocean engineering. Governor Phil Bryant, who was at the groundbreaking for the building yesterday, spoke with the media. He says research is part of the Coast Marine or Blue economy
2: Sure, it's a diversity of economy here at the port, once we start talking about the blue economy, part of that is source research, and after the spill, one of the things I wanted to make sure of is that 50 years, 60 years from now, this water has not changed because of that. So part of the responsibility we'll have at the USM Oceanography Research Center here will be able to study this water, see if we have any changes how it's affecting our wildlife, and if there are differences and changes that are taking place that we might be able to adapt to. So it's a research to make sure that we sustain the port, that it has more livability, if you will, Uh, ocean life is abundant, and we want to make sure that that uh, continues for generations. If you look at what's going on here at the port, just a remarkable turnaround in the last five or six years, but as we look at surface vehicles, subsurface vehicles, as we look at this port importing and exporting, now the research component, the entertainment component. Uh, You'll have a new casino here on this property before long. So uh, the diversity is what we need to make sure that we have a vibrant dynamic port that is indeed the port of the future.
0: Governor Phil Bryant. Monty Graham, director of the School of Ocean Science and Technology at USM, tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the new building will house and support the school's research vessel as well as its students.
1: This is a a new research facility, new research support facility that the the property and the building are going to belong, they do belong to the Port of Gulfport, and we're going to be a tenant. And it's a facility to support both our ship and our academic and research programs uh, within our school.
0: And so, what are you going to have here um, in terms of programs
1: or equipment? Right. So, really, there there are three um, different areas that we will be supporting. The first, the reason why we were, went into this in the first place, was our research vessel Point Sur um, is homeported here in Gulfport, and so the facility is going to is going to provide that that land base, that shore base support um, in terms of um, you know crew spaces and um, fabrication space to to help you know if something needs to get built that was that was um, broken. The next thing is that we're supporting um, our new, um, um, hopefully our our new ocean engineering program Um, and that will provide about 3,500 square feet of fabrication space. It will be state-of-the-art equipment in there, so juniors and seniors will be able to work. And, um, and the third thing is our, our classes that we offer, um, especially up at Stennis with our oceanographers and hydrographers, as they go on and off ships or work out in the field, that there will be some classroom space and some staging space for them to work.
0: So um, when is it going to be completed, and, and um, do you know uh, how big it's going to be or, or how many people are going to? Be- be working here?
1: So it's going to be about 18,000 square feet and um, within that is going to be about 3,500 square feet of fabrication space and a, a couple of other large areas for classes and, and sort of transient um, groups coming through to, um, to use the facilities. Um, and then there will be a space, space for about 10 or 12 um, permanent resident folks um, at, the, at, the, at the facility. The anticipated uh, complete date will be early uh, early December, I'm sorry early 2018.
0: And so when you're saying uh, residents, are those uh, like tenant companies or like resident researchers?
1: They'll be resident researchers. They'll, be, they'll largely be um, university. We don't have any other non-university folks lined up.
0: So the whole building is going to be USM?
1: Yep, the whole building will be the, um, you w- we'll probably end up calling it Marine Operations Facility, but um, the whole building will be in support of USM.
0: MPB's Evelina Burnett with Monty Graham of the USM on the university's new Marine Research Center with the State Port of Gulfport. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio.
1: I'm Jeremy Hobson. Ray Kroc didn't start McDonald's, but he made it what it is today. He went to the brothers and said, hey, look, I think this
0: is a great idea. Let's sell it elsewhere.
1: A new book tells the story of Kroc and his wife who left $200 million of their fortune to NPR. That's next time on Here and Now.
0: Today at noon on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for MPB comes from University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu.